hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners must So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it some To the old rugged cross I will ever be true It's shame and reproach Gladly bear Then he'll call me someday To my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share So I'll cherish The old rugged cross Till my trophies At last I lay down I will cling To the old rugged And exchange it someday for a crown. One day when heaven was filled with his praises One day when sin was black as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin Dwelt among men, my example is he Calvary's mountain One day they nailed him To die on a tree Suffering anguish Despised and rejected Bearing our sins My Redeemer is he Hands that healed nations Stretched out on a tree Took the nails for me Living he loved me Dying he saved me Buried he carried my sins far away Rising he justified freely forever One day he's coming on glorious day Glorious day
day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now he's ascended, my Lord, evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Glorious day, glorious day. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful name I've been loving, one bringing. My Savior Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming on a glorious day, glorious day, glorious day, yeah, glorious day. Good job, brother. You're getting uh, a lot of kudos, at least on Facebook and other things. Yeah, I hear you. All right. Good morning. How are you, church? I'm going to mute Ron and turn him off. Ron, I just turned you off. Uh, in this crazy, this crazy world that we're living in, it's just, um, it's just changing so rapidly. So all I'm asking you to do right now is just take a breath, just breathe in, relax, just chill out with us for a few minutes here, and uh, we'll have a good time. Got some things I want to tell you at the end of the message, but uh, I'm glad you're you chose to be here with us this morning. Um, and talking with people and just watching and listening. Uh, obviously, it's Palm Sunday. There's the whole coronavirus thing going on. So uh, you could go many different ways, but I'm finding out that you just need to keep doing some of the same old things, and that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to continue down our path, working in our way through uh, James's letter, and I'm excited to share with you this morning. Funny, uh, I say this every week it seems like, but I know the timing 
is uh, kind of uh, God's thing again, you're going to see it today and you might even laugh about it a little bit and that's okay. And then after we're done, we'll check in on everybody, make sure everybody's good to go. And uh, I'm excited that you're here this morning. So we're actually looking in James chapter four. I hope to cover like the first 12 verses this morning, but uh, I, I just want to uh, remind you what was going on here, why James is writing this, this letter to the people is because <clears throat> there's a lot of a lot of controversy that's going on. There's there's those that are wealthy, there's those that are poor, and they're beginning to fight amongst themselves. This is a letter to the believers to the church. Now think about this for a second. Have you ever been a part of a church fight? The church battle, whether it's the color of the carpet or I, I don't know, meeting times, you know, we've all been a part of that, business meetings and things like that. I'm kind of excited to say that uh, that doesn't happen too much at Levner. I can't think of uh, too many church fights that we've had over the years. And so uh, can this chapter relate to us? I believe it absolutely can. So let's start out. James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? That could be a rhetorical question. Uh, he then says, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Here he's talking about this conflict that comes out of the sensual lust or pleasures. That word is hedonism. That's the, the playboy mindset that makes pleasure for men and women makes men the, the women their goal. He's really thinking about flesh here. You're fighting flesh and fighting in the church has gone on forever. Think about this for a second. Lot caused a quarrel with his uncle Abraham back in Genesis. At Absalom created a war for his father David back in 2 Samuel. And the disciples, well, they created problems for the Lord when they argued who was over the greatest in the kingdom back in, chap in Luke chapter 9. And then when you examine some of the early churches, you discover that they had their share of disagreements, obviously. And even the members of the Corinthian church were competing with each other in public meetings and even suing each other in court. The Galatians believers, they were biting and devouring one another in chapter 5 of Galatians. And Paul had to admonish Ephesians to cultivate the spiritual unity of the whole church. Even his beloved church at Philippi had problems. Two women could not get along with each other. You see, there's fighting that has been going on in the church for a long, long time. So he's asking the question, what is the root of this? What is the cause of the fighting? Do I need to explain it to you? It comes down to, we get these thoughts, we get these thoughts that probably aren't generated by us. You and I refer to them as the power of sin, that power that dwells in our flesh. And we have a choice whether to act on those thoughts or dismiss them as lies. 
And sometimes we let the flesh get the best of us. Think about this in verse chapter in chapter four, verse two. It says, "You desire and do not have; you murder and covet and cannot obtain." That's pretty harsh for the believers. Probably a metaphor. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, James is really referring to here that something that's very similar today, he's talking about class wars, the rich class versus the poor class. This is, this is not what he's talking about right here. This is not trusting child asking for a meal, but he's talking about a greedy child asking for the best piece or the spoiled child demanding his or her way. They're asking God to bless their schemes and God's not going to have any part of it. But the real battle right here that he's talking about is between your focus on God and worldly things. That is going on before our very eyes. We're watching scrambling for toilet paper. It doesn't even make sense. There is all these things that people believe that they need at this time right now. And they're going to extra, extra means to get what they need. But the wanting, first wanting what they do not have and second coveting what they cannot attain. Think about that. You, uh, when this whole toilet paper war started, you started yourself looking for toilet paper. And then you think about it, you know, what's all this hoarding about? What's the hoarding about? It has a root, and that root is sin, which is selfishness. Often we veil our religious quarrels under the disguise of spirituality, but the truth of the matter is we're talking about selfishness. Think about this. We're like Miriam and Aaron who complained about Moses' wife, but who really were envious of Moses' authority. Or we imitate James and John who asked for special thrones in the kingdom when really what they wanted was recognition that day. I think in both of those instances, the result of selfish desire rubbed hard and brought division among God's people. You see, selfish desires are, are dangerous things. They obviously lead to wrong actions. You fight and you war. They even lead to wrong praying. He says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. When our praying is wrong, our whole life is wrong. It has well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. And selfish living and selfish praying will always lead to war. There's always a war inside of us, but there doesn't have to be a war on the outside of us. It's literally called walking by the spirit rather than walking by the flesh. You choose to hear 
the spirit that lives inside of you. And when you hear that spirit, you choose to obey that spirit. You listen and you just naturally do. But sometimes that war, that battle is the sin that creeps up into our, our head. And sometimes we choose to act on that and that being a selfish deal. So you always have two choices. You either walk by the spirit or walk by the flesh. Verse four, it says this, you adulterous people. I just read that kind of calmly to you. But I'm sure as James is writing this letter, he's written that with a lot of passion. You adulterous people. Calls them fools earlier. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Now, that there is a figure of speech designating the unfaithfulness of God's people in their relationship with them. By the world, James means, of course, human society apart from God. We as believers, when we live by the world, we have God removed from that whole thing. And he's saying friendship with the world is compared to adultery. Yeah, that's what he compared it to. James is not referring to quit talking and loving on people with worldly behaviors. I don't believe that at all. If you heard Keith's video this morning that he does, if you haven't, Keith's been doing these daily videos and it's pretty cool, but just how the spirit led him to hang out with different people this last week doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from worldly people. It does mean that we separate ourselves from worldly behavior. James is referring to not doing worldly behaviors, not talking about disassociating ourselves from people. Verse five, it says this, or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? Oh, that's the, that's the verse right there where people go back to do not grieve the spirit. Do not grieve the spirit. The spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. There is a spirit of God that lives inside of you. The moment that you believe that Jesus was the savior of the world, that he was the son of God, that he came and he died, his blood was poured out. He was buried. He rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of God. They sent the spirit to dwell inside the believer. That would be you. And the spirit says, hey, I want to live your life for you if you will allow me to. I'll do it all for you. I'll get you through this whole Corona thing. If you just trust me and relax. Now I say this all the time. You hear me teach this all the time for the last 11 years. But the truth of the matter is a lot of us still struggle with that. A lot of us still struggle with that news that you've heard for the last 11 years. And when we struggle with that, I think that's why the Holy Spirit grieves. Because we know it up here, but we just have a hard time trusting it. We have a hard time 
living it out. That's the whole deal of this Christian life is learning to live out of a new heart. In verse six, he says this, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. He's talking about those that are not redeemed. He says, but gives grace to the humble. I myself have been made humble. Yeah, I get it. Sometimes I walk in my flesh. I walk in my flesh. But that's why we're always teaching identity here at Levener, is we want you to know who you are. James has literally taken the sword and he's divided it right there. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You have to know the difference. You have to know who you are. You can depend on your own pride or you can depend on God's grace. It makes all the difference. Verse seven says this. Therefore, submit, that big word, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know that word submit is a military term that means get into your proper rank. Submit. Why do we have such a hard time with that word? It basically means to give order to something. I think most of us are okay with order. Especially in these days, there needs to be some kind of order. But when chaos reigns, well, you see what we get. So why do we have such a struggle with the word submit? I'm pretty sure it has to do with pride. You go back to verse six, he says, God resists the proud. But here's what James says. He says, resist the devil, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, if you're resisting the devil, he's encouraging you to turn to God. Watch what he says, verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look, you're not going to have any problem with submission if that right there happens. If you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. And submitting to order will make all the difference. I believe the more you know God, the more you will feel his presence with you. The more you know God, the more aware you will become of the things that God does around you. I'm sitting here at my kitchen table talking to, I don't know how many people out there in this internet world, but I'm sitting here looking at my bird feeders and seeing God and the creation of birds flying around. And yeah, if you can draw near to God, you begin to see a lot more things. I believe that submission actually is a result of you drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. Submission becomes a fruit of the Holy Spirit working through you. Now watch this. This is awesome. Here we go. 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He just said, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Look, he's saying here, don't just say you believe in God. Don't just say you believe in God. He's saying believe in God, pursue God. During this whole coronavirus era, you're changing the way that you do life. You're shedding your old habits and some that you've been doing for a long time. Now you're having to rethink how do we do life? How do we do life as a family? How do we do life as individuals? It's causing you to really change the way that you're living. You're creating new habits. Even if it's subconsciously, you're doing things differently. Hopefully you're washing your hands more. I know I am. So process what you're doing with your time. We're going to come out of this stage in life and it's going to impact you forever. It really will. This is one for the history books. But think about this. How many times have you said, if I just had time to pursue the Lord, I would do this or that? Now's the time. You got plenty of time. It is the same things James was saying to the believers 2,000 years ago. Cleanse your heart, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's really talking about those that didn't know Jesus at this time. I'm telling you, focus on the Lord. Pursue this living God that literally wants to help you breathe every breath. And of course, wash your hands. Verse 9, he says, be miserable and mourn and weep. What? Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What in the world is he saying? Well, you know, as we study this, I imagine that most people translate this as written to believers since this is who the letter is written to. But go back just one verse, the previous verse, it's directed to the non-believers. When he says, cleanse your hands, sinners, because you're not referred to as a sinner, you're referred to as a saint. And purify your hearts. Your heart has been purified because of what Jesus did on the cross. You double-minded. So he's not even talking to the saints here. He's talking to the sinners, those that are non-believers. Be miserable and mourn about your worldliness. Let your laughter and joy that is based upon worldly things turn to sorrow and repentance. And humble yourselves. Cast aside your pride. Let go of your old stone heart and be transformed by the grace of God and learn how to live out of your new heart. Yes, his letter, letter was written to the church, but at this one point, he's speaking, look, he's speaking to those who have not repented and had their lives transformed. I know that when people come to Pinheads or even maybe right now listening here online, most of you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he's the Savior of your life. 
but maybe there's some that are listening that don't know that. I think this is what James was referring to. And then the last couple of verses he says right here. Verse 11 says, don't criticize one another. Brothers and sisters, anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? <laughs> wow, that's kind of a big verse. It says, says right there that the saints were speaking evil of one another and judging one another. That's what was going on. But as you know, as a community, we're supposed to speak truth and love based upon what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse, 10, verse 15. You're not to speak evil in a spirit of rivalry or criticism. If someone's doing something wrong, if something someone's sinning or someone needs correction, I believe that we're called to go and talk to them. But we don't do it out of condemnation because that would be an opposition of Romans 8.1. If the truth about a brother is harmful, then we have to cover it in love and not repeat it. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. If you sin, which you don't personally and try to like, well, I'm back about this for a second. Love covers a multitude of sins. How many times did you grow up in church and you knew somebody that wasn't behaving properly? And you had nothing to do with them. You just kind of disowned them. You stayed away from them. But here, Peter's saying, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't say ignore what they're doing. It's saying, go to watch Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, that's the law that James is talking about back there. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What's the law? It's the law of Christ that Paul is referring to. Think about this. I love the fact that this group of Leavener people, the Levenerites, one, uh, have such a deep fellowship that they trust one another. They trust one another with their issues. Not that we gossip or talk about everybody's junk, but literally we know what's going on in each other's lives. And we become encouragers, not condemners, not criticizing, encouraging, sharpening that iron, loving one another, and gently with a gentle spirit, the spirit that resides in us, can talk to them and encourage them and remind them of who they are in Christ Jesus. It's not my job 
to get them to stop sinning. It's not my job. It's the Lord's. James was not forbidding us to use discrimination or even to evaluate people. Christians have to have discernment. Look, Philippians, Paul says this, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. We must not act like God in passing judgment. We must first examine our own lives, and then we try to help others. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount thing. We never know all the facts in a case, and we certainly never know the motives that are at work in men's hearts. But we do know who is at work. To speak evil of a brother and to judge a brother based upon partial evidence and probably unkind motives is to sin against him and against God. There's a spirit inside of you that will provide you with wisdom on when to speak and even when not to speak. James is saying this, know God and you will learn how to live out of your new heart. You will learn to live out of your new heart. Man, that's the journey that I'm on. That's the journey that I struggle with day to day. That's the journey that I enjoy every day. It's the adventure is learning how to live out of a new heart. To live with believers who sometimes make mistakes. To love them, to care for them in a gentle spirit so that we all get along. And we don't end up in the history books as a fighting church. I think this is simply what James was saying. Father, I pray for our people today that um, as they're cooped up in their homes, maybe it's a good thing. But there's a lot of stuff going on that um, we really have no control over. The only thing that we can do is to trust you, for you to literally breathe every breath that we have today. So I pray for health of people I pray for those that um, are struggling. I pray for uh, just the whole world right now that you somehow, some way would heal this world of this virus and that we could get back to some of the things that we enjoy outside of what we're doing right now. I trust you, Lord. I trust that you'll do this with our people. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this day, this glorious day. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.